All content on this channel is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as professional financial advice. Should you need such advice, please consult a licensed financial or tax advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of information on this channel. Here we are talking about a Chinese company called Pinduoduo, and um, the stock ticker is PDD. And um, uh, it, from everything I've seen, I think it's crazy. Um, that's how I'm going to summarize it. <laughs> but well, <laughs> what did you? What was? Yeah. What were your first um, impressions when you like came across this company and started digging into it? Well, first of all, it's a little ridiculous that you're the host of a highly regarded <laughs> podcast and you had never heard of the 35th largest internet company on oh, the planet. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but with, with revenue just slightly below Square, yeah. which we covered. Uh, so uh, shame on you, Gil. No, I'd never heard of these guys either. <laughs> uh, I had no idea what it is. I had no idea what it did. You're like, it's an e-commerce company. And I, my first thought was like, this sounds exceptionally boring. There are 8 million of these. Uh, you want to cover Amazon. You want to cover, you know, okay, sure. We could talk about interesting stuff, but then you dig in. This is actually a super interesting company. Um, and, and I think it's going to bring up uh, a lot of interesting stuff about, about like regional mm -hmm. differences and, and why this works, where it works and why it's so successful where it is and what, how that might or might not translate yeah. to the rest of the world. Uh, and that that's that's really what to me just pops out is like this is actually a super interesting conversation. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You want to give a yeah. little more background yeah. there? Um, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I, you can do. I, it's it's the largest what they're calling interactive e-commerce platform in China. And and to me, you know, I think the the stat I saw was uh, I think between Pinduoduo, JD.com, mm -hmm. which is essentially a, a, like a I guess a search based. Yeah company uh and uh alibaba obviously which uh, even us Americans yeah we've heard know, about uh makes up i believe what was it i think it was 88 percent or 90 mm -hmm. percent it's a lot it's a of lot the, of the e-commerce market so yeah i mean they basically own it yeah the three of those companies combined control 80 percent of the market um in china which is actually a huge market. Um, I was trying to trying to make some comparisons, and we'll get into that. But um, you know, they're they're basically the fastest growing tech company on the planet. Founded in 2015, again, already one of the 35 largest internet companies on the planet. Uh, and the real interesting thing about this company versus like when I think of e-commerce, I think about you know online sales like an Amazon. You want to find a you know a toothbrush, you go search for a toothbrush, and you get a toothbrush. Mm -hmm. These guys have invented this kind of uh, consumer to manufacturer mm -hmm. model, the C2M. That's what they're calling it, which basically, you know, dumbing it down, it, it allows manufacturers to basically figure out exactly what the customer wants. Instead of the customer searching for it, they just say what price they're willing to pay for what they want. And they group together with other buyers, which lets the seller offer big discounts. Right. And, and for the seller... Right, it's it's uh, you know you can project project your demand and you can fulfill inventory better and they're they're basically lets them do these high volume transactions and they can determine the yeah. price. So 
kind of everybody wins and they just sit in the middle uh, as the platform and, and make yeah. those connections. But what's, what's really there is this social element. Uh, and I think that's the, the secret sauce here. It's not just group buying. Uh, and to me, again, I immediately thought about Groupon and maybe we'll talk about that too, but like a big, there's a lot of big differences between, you know, this and Groupon. And, and then I started to think, you know, maybe it's more like Facebook mm-hmm. marketplace, which to be honest, I'm fairly new to playing around with. I, my wife just started using it, buying and selling a bunch of stuff. My brother was telling me about it. I've never, I've never really used it myself, but I think it's similar. And then I go on and look at it and it's actually completely <laughs> yeah. different. Facebook marketplace tries to solve some of the same things, but it's doing it yep. in a very different way. So I think it's important to just focus on, you know, these guys have this social selling, this like consumer direct to manufacturer connection that's really unique. And, and we'll go through exactly how that works and, and how they make mm-hmm. money from it. Uh, but it's a, it's a cool company in, in a cool yeah. and unique space. So, I mean, thinking about like what exactly they do, right? So let's go through that. They basically have a mobile app um, that's pretty much available to like every Chinese consumer, just download it on whatever phone. And um, it allows them to like buy stuff. And there's a lot of weird quirky features about the app, the Pingle Dual app, um, that makes it quite remarkable. Um, they're subtle, but I think we have to like really dig into it to explain how in the world, like Pinduoduo in five years grew to have something like over 700 million active users buying stuff on Pinduoduo. And just to give you the sense of the scale of what Pinduoduo's 700 million active users are, first, Amazon Prime, how many Prime members are there? 150 million. How many people are there in America? 330 million. So this thing, this one app in China, which is growing like a weed, is got two Americas worth of adults buying stuff on it every day. And that, and they did it in five years, okay? And to me, that's like mind-blowing, okay? That's huge. And, you know, what they do is they have this app, and on the app, it's weird. There's no, they kind of hide the search bar. It's not like Amazon where the search bar is the top of the page. And then you look up the thing that you want to buy, like a bicycle or something like that. And um, Amazon will show you a bunch of bikes. I got to ask you, how, how did you research the app? My, my favorite thing is to scuttlebutt yeah. this stuff. You know, with Square, I downloaded the cash app. I wasn't able to do, I got like a hundred yeah. screenshots, which is how I'm piecing yeah. together the flow. But maybe I, well, you have I was, um, I went on YouTube. And then I um, looked up uh, videos where people who were going through the, the Pinduoduo app. And um, um, there was also a really good uh, explanation of how Pinduoduo works that was put together by uh, a venture capital firm called, I think, GGV um, in China. Um, so I used that and some videos. Um, the Pinduoduo website also kind of in an abstract way shows you screenshots of it and talks about the features as well. So that's how I, I, I play around with it. Yeah. Okay. But um, I think that uh, the, the interesting thing about it is that they don't have like a search bar. And what they do is you just have this personalized user feed that's customized to every person and is tailored to their interests, like the way Netflix kind of surfaces the videos that you think they think you should watch based on your um, past history. Um, Pinduoduo does a similar thing. You don't, it, it's almost, and, and the interesting thing about that that I learned is that when you um, 
tailor your entire user interface towards um, discovery of what I might want to buy, that is a different approach mm. from the way Amazon does it, where Amazon's built to like deliver you whatever you wanted to buy as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So you had to have intent to be on Amazon. I'm not just like br randomly browsing Amazon all the time to try to find some stuff. Pinduoduo is different in the sense that it's not geared towards intent-based purchasing. It's more like, like you go on the app to have a little fun because you're a little bored and shopping is the fun. And the feed that you get is comprised of things that people are buying, things that the uh, Pinduoduo AI thinks is good for you based on your purchase, previous purchases or what your friends are purchasing or what people nearby you are purchasing. Um, it's offering you coupons that are personalized based on what they think they, you, you want. And, um, and so you just basically, I think, would open Pinduoduo more often when you're bored, like the way you would open up Reddit or Twitter today because you're, you have a couple of moments and you're bored and you don't have anything else to do. Here, you would open up Pinduoduo more frequently to just see what might be out there. The other thing that's... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that, that's... Yeah. Oh, sorry. The other thing that I saw was really interesting about them was that they're like this probably one of the smartest companies I've ever seen um, at extreme growth hacking. Like back in the day, people would say Mark Zuckerberg was probably like one of the best CEOs at like growth hacking his way to acquire as many users as possible. And I'm going to give him all that credit, right? I think Pinduoduo has got to be because. They, the, the, the actual product itself is virality while also providing a service to the user. The way that the Pinduoduo um, uh, app draws in users is this, this promise that you can buy goods delivered to you and it is going to be really cheap and it's going to be in big quantities and you're going to have fun while buying. And so people will go and they'll like, find something that they want to buy, like, I don't know, a month's worth of tissues or something like that for, I don't know, the equivalent of five bucks. But the way that you can buy it is that you have to join a buying team with either friends or like a, a pre-existing group of random strangers who are on this other buying team. And if you all decide to buy together to, to buy this like month's worth of Kleenex tissues, then you can all get it for like 90% off. So why wouldn't you? And the virality that's built into the product is that they really have minimized all the friction of you sharing the deal to your friends and family, basically leveraging your own personal social graph of all the contacts in your phone, such that you want to be sharing with them. Hey, guys, 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 I'm about to buy like a month's worth of tissues for like two bucks. Let's all get in on this thing. We only have 24 hours to do it. And then you're pinging it out to all these people and they're joining the app or coming into the app because of your references. And now once they, you've brought in, let's say your uncle who's never like seen Pinduoduo before and then gets a taste of how much money he could save buying random stuff, he's going to do it too. And then now guess what? To get his deal, he needs to, needs to exploit his social graph. So this thing is literally built in, the virality is built into the product. You can't get the deals unless you join a bunch of teams. 
And the best discounts happen when you refer um, other users and bring them into the Pinduoduo fold. Um, I think that's the, like, they have so many other growth hacks, but that main growth hack, I think, is responsible for the bulk of this, like, meteoric growth from being a nothing app that no one had heard of five years ago to uh, an app that's threatening giants like Alibaba and maybe even Tencent's um, websites in, um, in China. Oh, sorry, wait, were you going to say something else as well? Yeah. About that? No, you're hitting like every point I wanted okay. to say, which is great. And I feel like along the same lines. Uh, I love the virality is obviously the key here, right? And I think any startup is trying to tap into those social graphs, right? It enables, mm -hmm. it's it's faster, right? So I think that it's, it's Reed's law, actually, if you're familiar with the term. It's the value of a group forming network is proportional to the number and ease with which those groups form mm -hmm. within it. It's the same logic for Slack, WhatsApp, any of those. They grow exponentially because they tap into groups instead yeah. of individuals. So it's it's if you can tap in, you, you can go from a network and hop from node to node and extend to the 30, 50, whatever people in that network each time you jump, that's much more efficient. That's the growth hack versus jumping person to person to person exactly. to person, right? Yeah. So that's, that's Reed's law as a concept. And I think these guys have, I like growth hack. I mean, that's exactly mm -hmm. what this is. If I was a startup and you told me that's the method of growth, I'm in. I'm 100% yeah. in. I love so it. Uh, and working my way backwards, mm -hmm. I did want to say, I think it does, right? And, and I think the other piece you're touching on is uh, it's fun, right? Uh, and you look at the founder, I mean, the founder, one of the founders, or it comes out yeah. of the gaming industry, right? So this thing, this app is fully gamified. I mean, there are daily check-ins, price cut programs, card programs, mini games. The time in the app correlates directly to the time shopping in a store for them. So, and for that, like to your point, it's the difference. Like you go to, you know, you walk into Costco, you might have a shopping list, but you're going to browse, <laughs> yeah. right? And the amount yeah. of time you spend in the store directly correlates to the amount of yeah. money you spend. The goal is to keep you in the store as long as possible, not to get you to buy one particular item or a high margin item or yeah, they try to you know you know nail you on the checkout line with the gum and the last minute purchases. It's all a highly sophisticated like psychological mm -hmm. game. But really simply, the more time you spend in the store, the more yep. money you're going to spend. Yep. And they take this to the app. And and basically, the more time you spend in the app, the more money yep. you're going to spend. And the gamification of it makes it really really scary. I don't. I don't did you see the Social Network or um, not the Social Network? Uh, What's the Netflix uh, show that just, uh, the that movie that just came out? Um, yeah. But, or maybe uh, maybe there's a new one. I feel like, or maybe it is. I don't know. I thought, yeah, I don't know. I think that is what I'm talking about. But it scares me a little bit because these guys yeah. are professionals at engaging you in certain behaviors. And, and those behaviors are designed to drive engagement with this app. And like, this reminds me of the way I, you know, I am with video games and the way my, I see my kids now growing up and playing video games. It's designed to not let you stop <laughs> playing. Like the whole objective is to keep you on the platform, which can breed some bad yeah. behavior. So like it scares me a little bit from that like social network side, but, but on the positive, I mean, this is no different than like running store promotions to get yeah. you in the store. I mean, that that's, and I come back to Groupon, you know, I think that's, they're trying to solve a lot of the same kinds of problems. It's the group buying, you, you offer a benefit to the seller, da, da, da. What's nice about this is it's really designed around mm -hmm. the consumer. It's what, you know, it's not, 
it's not the company offering you a great deal and you can decide if you want it a la Groupon. It's you deciding like, I want this and I can get enough people together that you should give me a better <laughs> price on it. And that's really appealing because you don't feel like you're being sold to. You don't, and, and again, you know, I want to save a lot of my bullets here to talk about um, uh, like cultural and regional differences for me. But I think the, the one piece here that that's really important is kind of that, like that trust gap, right? If you, the, the, you know, uh, the, the barrier to entry or the activation energy, mm -hmm. right? Like you, yes. you need the trust and that comes from exactly. the social network. And I think here, you know, the closest parallel I can think of is like mm -hmm. Instagram, right? It's like, at least this celebrity, like, you know, uh, Michael Jordan says I should buy these shoes. Like that's good enough for me. But like, imagine if my, my six good friends who were all like excellent basketball players all recommend the same thing. Like that's kind of more valuable yeah. in a lot of ways. And there's no other incentive there other for them to, you know, tell the truth. Right. So, you know, that, that's interesting. And then the, the game piece, I did look this up, Gil. I don't know if you saw this too. They have a bunch mm -hmm. of mini games in the app. And, and I kind of went down this rabbit hole of like, to your point, I was poking around on YouTube and just trying to see some workflow for this. And like, oh, there's a game called Duo Duo Orchard. Did you see this thing? Mm -hmm. It is, it is Farmville. It's Farmville. It, it's Farmville on Facebook. I know that because I'm the idiot that probably logged 50 hours of Farmville. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh, this makes, mm -hmm. this makes way too much sense. It's insane. Instead of, instead of spending 40 hours to get a fake coin in my fake game for my fake farm, you get a box of fruit shipped to your house. And now you're like, well, I'm not, waste I'm not wasting my time. Th that is incredible. Anyway, th those are the two bullets I wanted to add to you. Yeah. Comments, but I think and, and so like, this everything. is just remarkable, right? Uh, I like, I'm so impressed by that. But, and there's a couple of other things I want to add. So like, you know, if you think about the way the internet was in China five years ago, you know, a, a casual observer um, might conclude that the game was over. Like that, that it was a duopoly between these massive giants and that nobody would ever like even begin to scare them, right? So like Alibaba and Tencent, they like, like in terms of e-commerce, like they pretty much like own China, like the way you would think Amazon owns like the e-commerce in, in America. Um, and maybe now like Shopify, right? So which might be a subject of another podcast later, but still, um, like it's dominated by these things. And I am so surprised that Pinduoduo has found a way to grow massively to 700 million users in the last five years and take away some market share from those guys. It's, if you had asked me, if you had told me that that was going to happen, I'd be like, you're crazy. Like this would never happen. Um, but it did. And I think one other thing that's interesting about that is the attack angle that Pinduoduo used to try to get footholds in that made the most amount of sense. Because what they did was they targeted a bunch of, it's a, it's a market for people that were completely overlooked by the big giants. So those big giants were always looking for rich people with disposable income who know technology and are willing to like buy stuff on mobile. And they usually would be found in like these tier one, tier two cities in China, which are like the equivalent of like New York and San Francisco here in America, but just like 10x the size of each of those things, right? So we're talking about like Beijing's and like Shanghai's of China. And those are filled with a high concentration of like, you know, wealthy people who are fairly young and are like using technology and have disposable income. And that made sense. And Alibaba and Tencent locked those guys up hard. But you know what those guys forgot? 
we forgot to talk about the people who live in the tier four cities, the one in like China's interior, the forgotten people who don't have a lot of of money and don't have a lot of purchasing power and live in remote areas with like small cities that are kind of hard to get to, right? And PDD, uh, Pinduoduo, attacked and got a lot of traction by like getting a lot of those people under their fold. And that reminds me so much of the way Walmart rose up under the radar of all of the internet, and not the internet, the retail giants in America. Uh, Sears was like the king of retail. And it was available in all like the big cities, like, you know, it's a big Chicago thing, big New York thing, whatever. And this tiny Arkansas-based retailer that just focused on like, you know, building in like, like small towns that nobody had ever heard of in flyover America, uh, just offering really cheap stuff to people who really wanted to have cheap stuff, you know? Um, they like Walmart flew under the radar for like over a decade while it was growing like a weed. And, um, you know, it did it by attacking, um, at this, uh, at this vector, this attack vector for a lot of underserved people who had a lot of big needs. And Walmart was good at giving them that need. Uh, and I think Pinduoduo has flown under the radar and found this like novel attack vector the same way that uh, Walmart did back in the sixties uh, and seven, uh, in the seventies, and um, they grew really fast from there. Yeah. The you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I think that's a it, the the, sorry, the, C, the so, yes a slight delay. There, there was Keep a C two M or a C two B thing, whatever they they call it, and um, the, I want to I wanted to touch on that as well. So as in like as Pinduoduo got all of these users, I think like their strategy evolved. What they did was they realized that they have so much data on their platform about what all these people in these like tier three and these two or four cities were wanting and how their tastes were evolving. And you could kind of like have all of this massive amount of data about how this one woman likes pears and apples that are mid-priced, but she also likes luxury shoes that are a little higher priced. And, you know, you have this massive amount of data on these users. And, um, what Pinduoduo has like kind of like logically extended that to is begun tapping into China's massive manufacturing base. There's so many factories in China. They are literally like the factory of the entire world, right? Like in America, if we want to start something that's kind of sad sometimes, but we, we, we think, okay, well, we got to go to China for a factory, like, cause we literally can't find any factories in America that sell at cost. So, but there's so many factories in China and Pinduoduo and a lot of them are kind of feeling like they don't have enough demand for their services and they're good at making stuff, but they're not so good at like building a brand and finding a market for their goods. I mean, if you're like in Xinjiang and you make, you can make, you have capacity to make a million units of tissues every year, that's great. But where are you going to find all those customers who want to get like those million tissues? And how do you get it to them? You normally would give it to like a distributor or a retailer who would, you know, get it from you and then mark it up and then deliver it and then blah, blah, blah. So you're always dependent on the retailers for distribution. But Pinduoduo now has the ability to directly connect the um, 
the, the manufacturer, the, the, the actual factory that makes tissue, and just have a simple one-step pipeline to go directly from the manufacturer to the consumer. And not only that, the Pinduoduo also collects a lot of information and sends it back to the manufacturers so that they get new ideas on new product lines or changes in their packaging or to make it more efficient and meet their, the, the Pinduoduo users' uh, customers' needs. And so this, like, there's this like feedback ecosystem where Pinduoduo is making capital and information flows uh, much more efficient by connecting information between the consumer users and then the manufacturers and then making money in the process. So I think they, they have this goal of getting to like something like a thousand manufacturers who basically are these underutilized factories in China. And then those guys are going to be selling lots of, um, uh, of units of product across a lot of different household categories. Uh, directly to users um, on the Pinball Dual site. And that, in a weird way, reminds me of the way Costco's Kirkland brand works. Like, if you've ever been to Costco and you've seen Kirkland brand, Kirkland brand built this, like, reputation of being, like, cheaper, but sometimes, like, even better quality than a brand named Good because Costco has done a lot of negotiation to find these manufacturers who are very, very high quality manufacturers who are willing to use excess uh, manufacturing capacity to um, build these white label Kirkland brand products that are excellent quality at a good price so that they could just keep their um, factories running, so to speak. And they, Pinduoduo's done that. I think if they keep expanding this, my like big, hairy, audacious vision for where they could be is Pinduoduo could end up eventually becoming like the operating system and demand aggregator for the entire like Chinese manufacturing base, like all like the factory of the world, like the operating system for the factory of the world that connects it directly to the consumer. And mm. that's a crazy vision. They probably won't get there, but if they even get to a fraction of what I'm seeing there, it's going to be big. Like China is the factory of the world and to get some percentage of that and just do an end run around retailers and be the direct connector for the manufacturing base to the, the consumers in China is huge. It's a huge opportunity. It's more massive than I could even count. So that's, that's what I'm seeing there. Yeah. So walk me through some of your thinking. By the way, that's that's uh, that's an interesting perspective. It's it's the it's the you know I I tell clients to it. It's the data, right? What are you going to do with the data at the end of the day that that gives you some kind of advantage, right? You're today you're doing this. You're going to do this for X amounts of time. You're going to have all this information. What's the craziest thing that should yeah. enable you? Or if well, somebody else had the data, and, what could you do? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what this is. You're going to have all of the yeah yeah. Sorry, you were talking about data, and that's that's. That's what they're doing. They're building data, like the way Netflix hungrily hoovers up data about the stuff that you watch so that they can surface the right kind of movie later on for you. And so that you always feel like Netflix has tremendous value for you. And so that you never cancel your subscription because it's always doing something good for you, right? 
Um, Pinball Door does the same thing. It hoovers up information about every single game you play, every single thing you look at or you don't look at, everything you buy or you don't buy, everything, every recommendation you make about a product to your friends. It like pays attention to your social graph. It pays attention to your habits. It pays attention to like, like maybe even where you are when you buy something or what time of day it is that you buy something, right? And they use that information in like so many different ways. One is to keep you going back to the Pinball Duel app so, so that you're kind of in a way addicted to always looking at what they have to offer you next. Um, it's almost like a treasure hunt every every time you open the app. And the second thing is they use that information so that the the manufacturers who are normally blind to your intent um, and your desires, they would begin to hear uh, data points about your intent and desires. And then better, they'll use that information to better craft products that meet your desires so that more transactions will happen, right? And um, I, I can imagine them locking up a good portion of like the industrial base in China that can go direct to consumer. And, you know, the interesting thing is they're not stopping there. So like I listened to the last conference call that they had and like I would say 70% of the time they were talking about this um, kind of like new business that they were um, surfacing. Um, out of uh, inside Pinto Dwell. And um, I, I want to make sure I'm saying it right. So I'm looking at the name, but I, I think it's called Duo Duo Mai Tai, which um, uh, I'm just going to call it BBMC from now on. Okay. But I think it really is, still means buy fruits and vegetables together. Um, and so during COVID, uh, what they saw was that all these people couldn't go to the store. And there was this huge demand, not just for like, you know, internet shopping or whatever, but like a huge demand for fresh fruit and vegetables um, being delivered to people. And some that's like a weird change from the habit because a lot of, apparently a lot of Chinese consumers like to consume fresh fruit and vegetables. It's like a, a big part of their like normal diet. Um, and but they always kind of like buy small amounts at a time every time they go to the grocery store, and they have repeat purchases, let's say two or three times a week, always trying to get like small amounts of fruits, fresh fruits and vegetables. And as long as you could keep going to the store and buying small amounts of vegetables, that's fine. And like now, here comes COVID, where like everything shut down and people are still craving their fresh fruits and vegetables. And it opens up this massive opportunity for Pinduoduo in this year to begin like um, taking a part of their business, which was, you know, fruits, um, like you mentioned with the game, like giving people fruits um, and uh, massively expanding it. What they had been doing before was just a small shadow of what their ambitions are in the future with this. Um, and it makes so much sense in their business model because when you think about fresh fruits and vegetables, it's like I would the way I would imagine milk in America. My family drinks a lot of milk. We've got like two kids and I use milk in my coffee every day. So we like literally, whenever we run out of milk, we're forced to go to the grocery store. And we keep going to the grocery store every week because of milk or every two weeks because of milk. 
And fresh fruits and vegetables drive those repeat visits as well because staple that people get on a regular basis. And for them, it's a strategic advantage to be able to offer that via internet delivery and internet purchase, because then that also drives like the games do and the deals do and the social proof does. Um, it drives repeat visits into the app. So people spend more and more and more and more time inside the app because they have, they have so many reasons uh, to open it up. And that also reminds me of the way like Cash App tries to find all these reasons for you to open the app. Like whether it's one of those like boosts or whether it's because you want to like invest in the stock market or if you want to buy Bitcoin or if you want to transact with somebody. Cash App, it's better for Cash App the more times you, on average you open it up a day. Similarly, Pinduoduo, the more times you open it up in a day and visit it, the better for them. The repeat visits are good. And so they, they, they opened up this DDCM uh, or DDMC business. And it's going to massively, their, their vision is to massively expand agricultural produce sales over the internet in China. They are going like direct to farmer and they're giving those farmers like the tool to be able to see the demand from consumers and like literally ship like either big or small baskets of like fruits and vegetables on demand to customers within like two or three days. And you might imagine, well, doesn't that seem like there's going to be some like logistical problems? I mean, produce is not like, like me carrying a bag of eggs to consumer, <laughs> like 30, even 30 miles away seems right. like a dangerous proposition. And they did mention that that was actually an issue in infrastructure. Right now, like Pinduoduo just brokers the deal and takes a cut and the manufacturers are in charge of safely um, delivering the product to the consumer. But Pinduoduo has noticed that even those manufacturers are not that good at safely delivering the product to consumers all the time. So now they're investing in their own infrastructure, like cold logistics, cold supply logistics. So that way they can deliver massive quantities of um, fruits and vegetables to consumers using this, um, this new, ver this advanced version of their business. And um, I think what, if I were a competitor to Pinduoduo, what I would be frightened by most is the speed of their evolution and the fact that they make bold bets when the data suggests to them that their business can evolve in a particular way. And they flow like water um, towards areas of opportunity rather than being fixed with what they believe is the consensus reality. They use the data to help guide them to areas of opportunity and they flow like water to those things and they do it rapidly. And I think like battling a competitor like that is as difficult as battling one of those like Terminator robots in the movies where they're like actually made out of liquid metal. Because even if you tried to shoot them, the, just the bullet would just pass through the liquid metal and they're like, ha ha ha, I'm gonna get you now, right? And I think Pinduoduo is like a fast evolving liquid metal style business that you can't shoot bullets at. It just keeps going and flowing towards areas of opportunity and gobbling them up. And where they're trying to like get a hold on or surround is like what I would think is the pillars of the Chinese economy, the massive factory base 
getting a hold in that and becoming a vital part of the demand aggregation and operating system of manufacturers to get to consumers. And on the other hand, the other pillar of the economy, which is how the, the China has so many small farmers that like have small plots of land and they make produce and they have a hard time getting to market. Tinduo Duo will kind of encircle that agricultural pillar of the economy and enable farmers access to markets that they never could have dreamed of accessing, you know? Um, and those two things kind of blow my mind. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's wild. I mean, I, I have a, a similar thought, which is why are they in this category? Like, you know, they, they launched this fruits and vegetables, they're, you know, they're, they've got the Duo Duo Farm, the AI driven kind of Duo Duo Farm product. I don't know if you've seen that. It's, it's like almost, uh, um, I don't know if they call it charitable, but it's it's designed to help farmers in impoverished countries or counties in China, I guess, sell sell online stuff and improve their productivity. But again, that's mm-hmm. self-serving. Um, but and they have this. Uh, I, I think there's a couple points you just touched on. One, you know, I, I started with why agriculture, and I worked my way backwards to these guys are incredibly agile. Like they can they can open and close a category mm-hmm. in like a month if they wanted to, you know, and and have all the bells and whistles. So to your liquid metal analogy, it's a good fit. I mean, that's, that's what these guys are able to do. They can literally, you know, uh, you know, slip into a new market and basically undetected and, and just blow it up completely, uh, which is, you know, interesting uh, to say the least, but again, in agriculture specifically, I think there's two reasons there, right? One is you have like all the big, um, manufacturers and probably most of the sellers on the platform focus on non-perishables like anybody else mm-hmm. who wants to sell things because it's really hard to have an expiring asset with a shelf life and, and sell it online when you don't have clear demand and, or again you know duo duo doesn't take inventory so you're in a weird position where you know you could list a thousand crates of apples to a group sell that doesn't become a full group and now what happens right you're kind of stuck with this massive inventory so you know, it was interesting to me and I'm digging into it and it's like, oh, okay. So like if all the incumbents are focused on non-perishables, you don't have so much competition here. So you can kind of, you know, run a test or, or, or kick this thing off basically with a, with a focus group essentially, mm-hmm. which, which will capture the market on its own. And two, you know, this reminds me of other work I've done where you have like, you know, low value, high volume yeah. stuff. Right, which is this? Any kind of fruit and vegetable would fall into that, where you you know you make billions of them, and they're twenty five cent profit margin on each <laughs> one. Like that's that's a that's a high volume play, um, and and high frequency. Which which again, what does that lead to? It's I got to check the app yep. every day, right? Like all of the all the stuff drives the same kinds of behavior that they're trying to incentivize in the app and around the categories they service and the vendors they're bringing on and the markets they want to be in. So agriculture makes perfect yeah. sense, right? Uh, and then, you know, you kind of, you kind of touched on, you know, taking a cut that you mentioned as, as the, you know, how they're making mm-hmm. some money, right? I, I think that's interesting. So instead of acting like, uh, you know, marketplace, right, where you might, you might take a, a reasonable slice, like they're not, they're not really no. taking a cut. I mean, almost 90% of the revenue here is coming from. Yep. Advertising, that's exactly it. Yeah. Which, again, like, to your point about the data, right? Like what are they actually doing? What are they selling and what category are yeah. they actually in? Right. If they end up where you're saying they could, I mean, again, I, I was not thinking that broadly. And that's that's why I love these calls. If they end up being the marketplace to China's manufacturing, especially smaller scale uh, manufacturing, 
that is, that's something else, right? That's a, that's a transformational yep. distinction that I, I wasn't thinking about. But even if you just limit the category and say, look, they've got a big ad platform and they're connecting buyers and sellers and great, but they're not making money. And, and it's funny, you mentioned this too. It, it does kind of remind me of Square, but it also reminds me of Peloton uh, mm-hmm. from a social and, and viral element. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the e-commerce, social virality, all that stuff. And also Palantir, right? Mm-hmm. It's big data. It's a relatively new company in a new category that they've yep. invented, right? And, and and it's just, it's it's very interesting, all right? And, and I can combine a lot of that thinking to say, you know, what are the comps here? Like, what are they aiming for? If they're an ad platform, right, that's servicing all this stuff and the data can later make them something else, you know, what markets are they attacking? And, and the, the one that pops into my head, and again, is probably just, uh, proximity to a lot of these companies in my day to day, but I look at the influencer marketing mm-hmm. in America, right? And and to me, that's like Instagram. I don't know how else, you know, it's it's so much stuff is sold on Instagram. I don't know what you get. It's, it's going to be. I mean, I was reading a report from a client. Um, I don't know if I have a source for it, but it was on their PDF. But they project the influencer marketing market alone will be a ten billion dollar market wow. in the next five years, <laughs> which is huge, right? And and that's just influencer marketing, not yep. social sales. It's a different category. So you're talking about paying Kim Kardashian to hold up a can of Sprite in her TikTok, whatever, <laughs> in her uh, Instagram post with a picture. And that's going to, you can, you have to pay her a quarter of a million bucks to do that. And it'll make you yeah. five, like the yeah. market's insane. And I think these guys kind of fall into that. And you look at Instagram and again, I don't know much about Instagram, but you know, right before they were bought, I think, uh, you know, they were doing over a hundred million mm-hmm. of ad revenue. Um, on, on just social influencer, and so the market here is is insane. I mean, if they're if they're driving ninety percent of these crazy profits from the mm-hmm. ad model, you think about all the other ways they could be driving profit, yeah. right? So just there's a lot of potential in that. I think you're like yeah, this is this is great because I think you've touched upon something that like really struck me. So these guys, you know, they're like the ultimate growth hackers. And they're just hacking, hacking, hacking all the way up to like 700 million users, which is two, worth two Americas, by the way. Um, and, you know, China's got 1.4 billion people. So like they've got literally half of China active users on this app, right? And they've been... That's it's absolutely bonkers. crazy. Just the when you say it like that, it it's is absolutely bonkers. insane. And even yeah. if it took, it took, uh, it took, what it take? It took Alibaba yeah, 10 years yeah, to do that? And they did this in like, like three years, let's say. Okay. That's not. And, um, the, and they've been gro- like so relentlessly focused on growth hacking. They're probably one of the best groups in the world at growth hacking. Right. And, um, like the whole thing severely under monetized. Um, let me give you a couple of like some data points to like support that idea. This year, um, they have, roughly about 730 million active buyers and those active buyers purchased 1.5 trillion renminbi so like the chinese currency and there's like a conversion of like 6.5 renminbi to one dollar so um that's i'm just doing this roughly it's like about 230 billion dollars of merchandise volume purchased by these 730 million active buyers, right? Now, if you kind of work that out and you ask, is that a lot or is that a little per person? You know, it actually turns out to be a surprisingly small number. It works out to be uh, the average annual spending per user right now is somewhere between 
1,800 and 2,000 RMB. It's growing, but let's just call it 2,000 RMB, which works out in US dollars to be $306. And to, to get a sense for $306, or US dollars per user, let's talk about Amazon. Are you talking about my, I was going to say, you're talking about my weekly Amazon spec? <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about Amazon, right? In 2019, here, let me quote some other statistics. Prime users on Amazon spend an average of $1,400 per year. And I know I do more than $1,400 per year. Amazon takes a lot of my spending. So that average is kind of like has, has a lot of people on the upside as well. $1,400 a year. And in um, Pinduoduo, it's only $300 US dollars per year. Now, that's probably a reflection of a few things, right? Like they targeted tier three, tier four cities where the people that generally um, were underserved because they have such um, little disposable income. But at the same time, what's probably going to end up happening in here is that you can imagine Pinduoduo is going to slowly start um, to con or slowly continue to capture more of the Chinese market um, and grow beyond the 700 million user mark. Maybe not as fast as they did at the beginning, because literally they now have half of China. So how how much farther faster can you grow from there, right? Um, they're going to continue capturing share, but I think the game in here is to now um, uh, hope and uh, incentivize the, the the people that they have right now to do more and more of their spending. Um, within the app, and also kind of trust that this Chinese lower middle class uh, user base is going to grow in their earnings power over time. And when they built this trust in Pinduoduo, like early on where they didn't have enough money, now that they have more spending power, they're going to continue their relationship with Pinduoduo. And Pinduoduo is going to like broaden their reach from just these like household essentials like kleenex tissues and jeans and like apples and go on to like bigger high ticket items like i don't know iphone or uh huawei phone or like even teslas right like the scale of where Hopefully. of where they're going is going to be really dependent upon riding the back of this demographic destiny for the chinese consumer like if the Chinese consumer um, can better themselves and you know, continue to increase their earnings power, then Pinduoduo will rise, surf that massive wave of money to like the moon <laughs> or to Mars or to wherever they're headed, right? Um, and all you gotta do is- Right, but at the same time, I, it, is it a realistic? So you, you brought up two of the critical points for me uh, while we, you know, I, I want you to do a more technical analysis, which you are uh, the gold standard for me, but just two of the inflection points about forward facing for this mm -hmm. company, right? How realistic is it to assume that they can increase the average spend per user when they're mostly working with, you know, we, we talked about these somewhat forgotten flyover Chinese counties and areas, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they, maybe there isn't the same kind of disposable income. Maybe there's not the same kind of demand and needs other than, you know, lower cost non, you know, essentials or regular actual essentials, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I look at something like Amazon. I imagine if we were talking about Amazon, uh, you know, around when we met, uh, you know, we'd be talking about the potential to be buying and selling cars regularly on Amazon and houses mm -hmm. and everything else. But 
you know, it never really became that. And, and I, I'm sure some of that, you know, maybe by design, but it never really, it didn't have an infinite size order size or, or it's just some of it was impractical, right? And, and it's the logistics, the delivery, like all that stuff has to fit together. Right now, if your biggest challenge is carrying 12 eggs, 30 miles, right? That's, that's a different animal than I have to deliver a Tesla on a specialized or yeah. a medication in, in, in certain types of conditions. I need a cold chain. I need, right? Like these are things Amazon's doing now. I just don't think they're necessarily equipped to or, or have that market available to them. They're already, you know, they've already captured half of right, the Chinese right, right. market, right? So I, I think you hit, you hit two pieces for me. One is how much more growth potential do they have as is? Like, let's assume, you know, even assume they go to 100% of the Chinese market. Are they able to move that average, you know, average spend per user on the platform up enough through the gamification and other stuff and incentives and offerings and et cetera to, to make it, you know, to make it worth its mm -hmm. stock price? Uh, and then the other to me is what's the expansion potential? Does this work outside of China? Right. Can you do this in the in the US? Right. And if and if you can, are they in a position to do it here or is it going to be somebody else? Right. Does, does someone else come in and create that? kind of technology platform, a social sharing or social e-commerce in the States. And there's no first mover advantage for, for, for Pinduoduo mm -hmm. here, right? So that, those are the interesting points for me. If you told me this was like, you know, a more, a more e an easier to evaluate business, something, you know, just it, it grows like anything else by user adoption, it's, it's global, it's universal, da, 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 it'd be a lot easier to say, okay, you can project some of this growth and they're going to occupy what's obviously a very lucrative and somewhat unoccupied market mm -hmm. globally, right? In the social, you know, social commerce category. I'm not sure there's any advantage from, from especially like across such a region and such a culture as US to China. So um, I don't want to derail us too much. I know you want to go through some of the financials. So I'll, I'll leave you to do that. But you brought up both of the main kind of pivot points for me when thinking about making a recommendation or the future. Outlook yeah, the and I, those are great points. I think there's no easy answers for those things. And I think that's where the risks um, are in the company. Um, you, we're, we're looking at the past five years, um, but we're trying to project the next five years. And uh, it's possible, one, a bearish view would be that um, they, they picked the low-hanging fruit and the rest of the fruit is a little harder to get. So if I were bearish on this thing, um, well, the biggest arguments I could give was that, yeah, they grew this fast because they were super smart growth hackers, but now they're going to have to try to compete in tier one and tier two cities against some pretty big guys um, who want to really you know, defend that, um, that category. Um, and then those guys, you know, like Tencent and Alibaba, they're not stupid. They know you've like built your business on the backs of these tier three and tier four cities. So while Pinduoduo is trying to go after tier one and tier two cities, guess what Tencent and Alibaba are going to do? They're going to try to go after your tier three and tier four guys. <laughs> so they're going to put, they're going to, the, the, if I were pessimistic, super pessimistic about it, the biggest risk would be that competition they scale to the point where they're now a half of China and the competition's about to get even more intensified than it has been before because now they're going after users who are not traditionally, um, you know, looking for, let's say, the, the cheapest prices for like as their like primary thing, you know. These are people who are like high, high disposable income and kind of don't even care about that kind of stuff. Um, and so like what is what does Pinduoduo bring to the table for those types of people, right? Um, and so I think, you know, 
there's no easy answers to those questions. But I do think that they're also realizing that there might be upper limits to that style of growth. And they are evolving their business to not only appeal to those types of users, but to also strengthen their base in the tier three and tier four cities by, as I said, becoming more of um, a place where you could buy repeat purchases like um, fresh vegetables and, and um, fruits. And then also um, a place that continues to still like dominate like that social uh, growth hacking thing. Um, you know, when you look at the other thing that I, I think is interesting is that, you know, they, when, what I was going to argue was that they're, even if their growth slows, whatever they have right now in terms of the user base is completely under monetized as is. Like, if, it, even if they like completely flatline their growth, right? And I just look at how they're, well they're monetizing their user base, yeah. it's grossly under monetized. They, um, number one, you know, even though they do an impressive amount of like gross merchandise volume of 1.5 trillion um, per year, that works out to like a low amount per, per customer, as we mentioned. Um, but also, the money that comes into Pinwodol as revenue from that gross uh, merchandise volume is only 0.6% of the transaction volume. That's how low their take rate is uh, for like transactions between merchants and consumers. It's not even 1%. Like if you get to 1.2%, you've already doubled your like take rate from these people on the 1.5 trillion of our investment. Yeah, but so much of that, so much of that is what aligns yeah. the interests, right? That's how you have the trust and, factor. Is you're not making money off these. How, guys. You don't care, right? That that's how that's you have how to be. they're like growing so rapidly, right? But if they start changing their priorities from grow, 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 grow to okay, we're going to flatline the growth, but we're going to start monetizing our user base. Like they have a bu an easy button to pull. It's to like raise their take rate to 1% as opposed to 0.6%. And I'm sure at this at that point, if they are truly that valuable to manufacturers, those manufacturers are not going to quibble too much about a 0.6% take rate to a 1.2% take rate, right? If they really truly are part of the operating system framework of the factory. And so I think they're playing the long game here, which I mean, is that if they can get themselves so intrinsically valuable that factories can never really let them go, otherwise they'll lose all the business. Then at that stage, they can go from a 0.6 take rate to whatever take rate the market will bear. And that can, that can easily double or triple their revenues once their growth drops flatline. But until then, they're kind of saying like, look, we'll just take a 0.6% take rate, but we're going to hoover up all the data we can. And we're going to learn everything about your operations and help you out a ton and become indispensable to you. And then on the consumer side, we're going to be indispensable to them too, because we're going to be the source of like the cheapest possible source of goods for them. Um, and they're willing to under monetize so that they can grow. And once they flip the switch to, um, not so much priority as growing, it's not hard to raise the take rate from 0.6% to some, you know, even multiple what it is right now. For example, Taobao, right, which is one of the um, uh, properties owned by Alibaba. It's kind of like, I feel like it's the eBay of China. Their take rate is 28%, 28% for transactions. And you're talking about people doing 0.6% is almost nothing, right? Um, 
the second point I wanted to say about um, under monetization is that your you you know you you you'll, you'll the, the the take rate zero point six percent is somewhere like a ridiculously small number of the actual money they make. So it's like twenty percent of the revenue or something like that. The other eighty percent, as you correctly pointed out, comes from advertising. High, pure, sweet. It's it's actually closer to ninety yeah, like percent. Pure, sweet, <laughs> like like high gross margin advertising. You have all these people, seven hundred million people, addicted to going onto your app multiple times a day. And they're like, their intent is to use moments of their free time to browse randomly for fun items to buy. And wouldn't those bored people who just want to shop be the best people at showing ads to? Like, it's such a no-brainer, right? <laughs> bored people who want to shop, show ads to them. And so the bulk of their revenue is actually selling, quote unquote, um, advertising or marketing services to merchants. It's basically algorithmic ad placements, like the way Amazon does it, right? It's, it's not people doing this. It's really the, they have this like this, this ad click network and like an online marketplace and advertisers use that to, you know, bid, bid up on keywords and get placed, sponsored placement into a Pinduoduo's, uh, personalized news feeds and they're monetizing that and um you know they have a lot yeah. like if, if you combine the take rate and if you combine the ads that they place and i and i think they're not like fully placing every single ad everywhere they can it's just like a judicious drop of an ad here and an ad there because you don't want to ruin the user experience where they never want to go to you again and don't forget Gil. This is designed for the person to want to watch yep. the ad. <laughs> like you have a you have a very unique situation where, to your point, if they turn the dial up on yeah. ads delivered, the consumer doesn't become yeah. unhappy. Yeah, right. Like that is that's special. I don't know any other situation yeah. like that where you're incentivized to sit through ads, other than like rewards programs or payback or survey stuff where you might get something. This is like I'm going on the app. If I watch three ads, I get seven p. You know. PDD points that I can use. Da-da-da. Sure, I'm happy. To. I would love to. I've got nothing yep. else to do. I, that is that's such a great point. You just you just turn that yep. knob a little bit, right? And and yeah, there's plenty of ads to serve. You saw they launched a yeah. live oh, yeah, that's for right. advertisers. That's right. Yeah. So manufacturers will. It reminds things. me. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Yeah. So you just go go shill, uh, and you can have you know prime real estate in this virtual yep. bazaar, right? I mean yep. that's what this is. But I, I think. It reminds me, do you remember that app for like 10 seconds uh, where the guy would like live stream a contest, like a trivia contest? I forgot oh, what it was called. Right. It was like massive. Yeah, no, I remember what, like trivia. It was like one dude. Trivia or trivia, something or the other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. something like that. It was, it was super hot yeah. for like three yeah. weeks. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think about that and like, again, like the ads, the type of stuff you could plug in there. That's just a lot of people who want to play a game with a little bit of free time. Like imagine if that was a game with all of your friends and every time one person got an answer, right, you kind of all get some points, right? Like it's, it's just, it's such, it's such a good design for actually making Mm -hmm. purchases. So to your point, turning up both of those dials, right? Turning up the take rate and turning up the ad placement, neither of those things negatively impact the consumer at the end of the day, which is fascinating. Because those are usually your biggest impediments on both things. The, you know, like 
Look at Square. We talk about Square being a little bit of a premium service by their rate that they charge versus some of the other platforms because they're providing a better product and they're more well-connected and they're more integrated. Here, it's like the take rate almost has no impact. I mean, I imagine some of that cost may get passed back to the consumer yeah. in pricing, yeah. but like that's a merchant yeah. problem, <laughs> not, a, uh, not yeah. a consumer problem. And the ads, again, you're incentivized yeah. to watch the ads. So it's, you're like, I don't care. Sure, if you, you know, give me the option to watch some more ads, I'd be happy to watch another ad. And to be honest, like, I might actually buy something. I'm not watching an ad because I'm sitting yeah. through it in the airport and right where I have no intention yeah. to buy. I'm going on this platform to shop. I'm walking into your store, and right? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And, and frankly, I know exactly what yep. to serve you. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's perfect, perfect ecosystem. Yep. For and, that. you know, the, an, another good thing to piggyback on top of that is that the, um, the browsing-based um, curiosity-fed um, model for Pinduoduo, where they show you stuff you might want to buy, and users are conditioned to operate in that model. Um, not only has benefits that you mentioned there, but it also has benefits in terms of like infrastructure costs, because um, Amazon, like it's an intent-based thing. Like I'm going in there because I need like a bicycle carrier that I could put in the back of my bike for two children, like right away. I need it like this, like in two in two days, right? And now Amazon like knows I need it right away. And so they've built this massive like warehouse and logistics and airplanes and buses and shuttles and blah, 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 so that they could deliver me my like bicycle carrier in two days. Crazy. Anything I want in two days, right? Sometimes even less. And now Amazon's got to hustle to make that happen. And they spend ungodly amounts of money to make that happen for me, right? Pinduo Duo doesn't have to do that. Because I don't have any intent when I buy there. I like just say, oh, oh, these jeans do. I didn't know I want them before, but you know, it looks good. I'll purchase it. And I don't need it right away because I didn't have any intent to buy it in the first place, which means that I can wait, I don't know, six, seven days for it to arrive. And I'm like, okay, great. These are the jeans that I bought seven days ago. And I'm okay with that. So they don't have to spend as much money on infrastructure. Right. Yeah. But there is some risk to not having that control, mm -hmm. right? Like at least with Amazon, you know, there's a there's a degree of quality. I think that's what that's the struggle you get into yeah. with delivery, uh, with like Uber Eats and and uh, you know, I can spend all the money in the world uh, my Subway franchises telling you how great my sandwiches are, but if the guy showing up with my sandwiches isn't wearing a mask and and you know, his his shirt's open and he's soaked in sweat and he throws the bag at my feet, I had a bad experience. So like, I think there is a, a little bit of negative to not controlling the end-to-end -end like Amazon does, but obviously that's a yeah. much easier to not right. have to worry about it. And certainly they don't have to, to your point about growth hacking, I mean, they just leapfrogged, you know, 99% of the other companies yeah. doing stuff like this out there to get to, you know, who are the number two or three in the country. Uh, and, and again, one of the top yeah. in the world. Uh, so whatever they're doing, it's working. Uh, but again, once you get to, you know, bigger purchases and more valuable purchases and things where like a brand, let's say, you know, when I want to buy, I don't, I don't really know a great premium brand. But I'll give you an example. Let's just draw one out of thin air. Let's say I wanted to buy mm -hmm. a Peloton, right? The delivery experience is, is super important. True. It's really important. Someone has to come, they have to set up your bike or at least drop off the bike. Like you're not going to trust that to some third party that mm -hmm. you don't really know. And again, I think, I think we're touching on a lot of points, not to, not to give too much negativity, but 
the Chinese situation, right? I mean, these guys five years ago, it, it, it just it might not be as easy to replicate this build type uh, anywhere else. You're right. right? It's, you have these highly concentrated urban populations. You have relatively low wages, right? You've got super low wages for mm -hmm. delivery workers. And you have the manufacturing base. Uh, and you have like the very, country. like we don't have the manufacturing base here. Yeah, yeah. it's all yeah. local. Yeah. It's all local. So you're, 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 you've got mm -hmm. micro logistics. You don't have like massive, you know, ship this from California to, yeah. to Boston, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's not like that's literally not the factory so is in the same town that I'm in, right? Like there's a massive Kleenex factory in the same town. Yeah, it's just yeah. 30 miles, yeah. 10 miles, yeah. eight miles, whatever it is. And I, I think the timing here, they really, they just nailed it, right? I mean, they, they hit a perfect market at the perfect time. It was all these Chinese consumers only recently, you know, not five years, maybe 10 years or so, but now they have some disposable income. That's a relatively mm -hmm. new situation, and mobile right? Phone. You have widespread availability and, of internet. Yep. Mobile phones, you have widespread internet, which is also relatively new. And you have a situation where none of these bigger high-end brands that do care about their, their delivery experience, among other things, they didn't have any retail stores in rural Chinese mm -hmm. areas, right? So like, they just didn't have a lot of alternatives. They, they popped into these second and third tier cities and basically just dominated yeah. immediately because the environment yeah. was ripe for it. I don't think the rest no, of the world looks like that. They, the, I, if, if I were to always model this, I have zero expectations that they could replicate their sweet home run success anywhere else outside of China. I think my, the end game that I'm thinking about for them is basically Amazon without the international. And um, China's probably the only market in the world where that would still be fine. I mean, there's 1.4 billion people in China. And if things go well for them, they're going to move up in their earning power over like the next decade. And they have the right kind of like domestic manufacturing where even if there's a trade war, like, why wouldn't factories in China just produce for the domestic Chinese consumer and um, yeah. who has greater purchases, purchasing power today than they did three years ago? It's just such a no-brainer. And then to be the yeah. toll road, to totally. be like the bridge, the indispensable bridge that connects this Chinese manufacturing base that has like zero idea about how to market, zero idea how to build a brand. They just know how to build cheap, Kleenex tissues, okay, that's all they know how to do. And then just serve them a massive market on a silver platter and just be indispensable that way and be a toll bridge for the entire, like a tax on the entire Chinese economy. That's good enough for me. I don't think I need them to go into America and I don't think I need them to go into Europe for them to be a big company. Like, that's, that's a massive amount of opportunity in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, um, one of the things I fall prey to a lot is thinking that America is the end all be all, right? It, it, like you can't, you know, you're never going to make it until you've become you know, an American staple or until you can, can dominate the American market mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, that's just not the case. I, I was trying to make some comparisons again, like the, the currency is one way to look at it. The other is, is kind of like, um, you know, like we, we just rolled out of cyber Monday. Mm -hmm. Right. Big, big, you know, Cyber Monday, Black Friday, you know, you know how much revenue is generated in, in and I look, I looked at 2019 data. Black Friday and Cyber Monday combined generated $16.8 billion okay. of spend. 
you want to know what the equivalent? So China has China has what's yeah, called singles day, double eleven. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's like a thing. I'm I'm so culturally ignorant. So forgive me to anyone listening to this podcast. <laughs> if there is one or two people out there, we gotta offend uh, them. Yeah, so forget the cultural insensitivity. Offend away, Eric. Double eleven something. <laughs> it's comparable to Cyber Monday. That's that's kind of their their like global go buy stuff online day. Thirty eight wow. billion, Gil. Thirty eight. Yeah billion that's more than double the co combined black yeah. friday and cyber monday so like yeah the china market the china market can they expand can they grow internationally what's the growth potential if they just focus where they are and they can expand a little bit more they can turn the dial up on on their take they can turn the dial up on the ads right they can charge more to place ads more targeted ads that's a plenty big enough market they, they don't have to become you know world mm -hmm. dominating right like i think of amazon as ultimately trying to to mm -hmm. run the universe Amazon did a promotion with with really Indigo I didn't know that last year like they they ran a wow. thing together yeah Amazon did like a Amazon took I guess surplus items or 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 back you know backlogged items from their own catalog and did a small listing oh, interesting. which yeah, makes perfect makes sense so, yeah, yeah you know yeah it's amazing and like that again it highlights to me there's a gap in the US for this kind of tech for sure and I keep thinking well can they come over and fill it at the end of the day buying you know buying into to pin duo duo, I'm not sure yeah. it matters. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have to. Like whether they do or don't, sure, they might have more market potential, a little less market potential. They're not like a startup in Israel where, where your addressable market is, is not that big. I mean, China's bigger than yeah. here. <laughs> they have a massive yeah. market share and they're all mobile and they're all buying stuff online and they're really well designed, again, to your point, you know, having the manufacturing locally. Uh, they don't have to worry about some of these crazy international logistics stuff right. like Amazon. Does. And so, you know, thinking about the, like picking up where we left off on the monetization argument, the under monetization argument, if you take their sources of revenue, which is that 0.6% take rate on every transaction, and then you combine it with their, I would think, growing and powerful advertising business, you add those two numbers together to get to their total revenue. And then you divide that where the denominator is the gross transaction volume of all the goods and per of services purchased on the site, um, which was a rough, roughly uh, 1.5 trillion, you get 3%. So if you imagine this massive flow of transactions, like money, this, this wall of, or this ocean of money that's flowing in through. Uh, or enabled by this, this commerce enabled by Pinduoduo. It's one point, it's a massive ocean of 1.5 trillion. And they're only monetizing via the 0.6% take rate and the advertising that they serve. They're only monetizing 3% of that overall transaction volume. Now, you could press one button and then increase your take rate and then boom, instant revenue lift. Or you could also like, you know, press another button, serve some more ads or find a way to like uh, make ads a little bit more expensive so that, um, you know, manufacturers have to pay up for it. And then boom, instant revenue. And to think that you're only doing 3%, so it means that you're like vastly under monetizing all this revenue that's coming through enabled by you. Yeah. That's what we're going to say. Yeah, I mean, I'll ask you this. It reminds me, you know, uh, what what's going to keep 
Pinduoduo from becoming the MySpace of social e-commerce, right? Why can't a competitor pop up, create some social networking, make those connections, connect up some stores? You know, it's, it's, it's not, you know, you'd think that the virality of it and the social nodes and social element of it is, is a, a moat, but it's clearly not enough. There needs to be something well, else there. And maybe it's there already. Maybe it's going to be there. Maybe it won't be there. But what's what keeps them, you know, like to your point, they just turn some dials. It, it, you're, you're implying that they're in an immutable position, that they, they cannot yeah. be disrupted in that sense. And I don't see any reason why you can't have a pop-up competitor, even a regional competitor, 20 regional competitors that start to eat yeah. into their market share, right? Especially if they and start to raise That's a good question. I think that um, they are, they know that, that they're in a perilous situation. And that, you know, technically, a lot of the stuff that they're doing could be copied and um, that competitors probably will try. And um, I think they're making the inroads to solidify their position against such attacks by, you know, the initiatives that they're making to form what I would say, like, is a parasite host symbiotic relationship with the actual producers of the Chinese economy, which are the factories and the small farmer, once like they kind of like get their tentacles so enmeshed in those two ecosystems, such that they become indispensable to those guys, it's gonna be nearly impossible for any competitor with like a cloned app to begin to even think about dislodging a company like this. That's where I think they're going. So, and I think the reason why people haven't cloned them yet is because they were number one flying under the radar for so long, attacking um, at this like weird attack vector at the like this underserved poor market that nobody ever thought you could ever make money off of. And then they surprised everybody by growing so big that like you have to take notice, you know, at how big that they've become. And now that everybody's starting to take notice, they're starting to like quickly dig fortified positions by like entrenching themselves in this symbiotic relationship with the actual manufacturers, right? And then um, I think another extra special sauce to this is the fact that I think they're so agile. They are like liquid metal. They, you know, do a couple of big initiatives, learn from it, absorb, and then come out in this like weird unexpected angle that you never would have thought of before, but in retrospect makes complete sense. And so like, I don't know where they're gonna evolve to, but from the history of the past three years and like thinking about their overall strategy, I think no matter how conditions change, as long as they have that right, like liquid metal, water flowing towards opportunity, flexibility and agile, kind of doesn't really matter what I think the attack surface from competitors will look like. They, you will just adjust and then tilt one way and then attack at the new opportunities that have surfaced because of the response, uh, the opportunities created by the response from competitors, right? So what I really love, I think at the end of the day, is a company that it moves so quickly and so uh, opportunistically with great speed and ferocity attacking any opportunity that it sees that the, the more muscle bound, like slower competitors 
could never even hope to begin to compete because they literally can't perceive or attack quickly enough to hit the company where it is. Like by the time like the muscle-bound punch has arrived where Pinduoduo is, it's already at another spot. And then you try to get to where they are and they've already moved to another spot. And all the while, they're furiously solidifying their position through this like uh, uh, symbiotic relationship with the manufacturer of the actual producers of the economy. Such that, at that, and once they get to that point, I think their position will be incredibly strong. And even if they stop being agile, they'll still be incredibly strong, milking that relationship. So that's, I think, where they're, they're headed. What's, What's your outlook? Yeah. I'm very bullish on this thing. I should have looked at it three years ago. And um, I have a lot of regrets for that. The uh, current market capitalization of this company is $170 billion. And people will say this is expensive because it's, I think, currently 10 times revenue, 10x revenue. And uh, I don't know, I forget what Amazon is. Maybe Amazon, Amazon's like three times revenue right now, four times revenue, don't quote me on that. But it's not 10 times, Amazon's not at 10 times revenue. And people will say Amazon's expensive. So by way of comparison and analogy, then um, Pinduoduo at 10 times the revenue is uh, it's pretty, it's pretty pricey. Now, here's the thing, though. They're at 10 times their 2019 revenues, but they grew like 70% this year, 80% this year, um, partially because they're good at growth hacking, but also partially because COVID provided extra special incentives for a, a massive group of Chinese consumers to begin buying online that, and ex- basically accelerating internet adoption in China. So kind of like the Peloton situation too, right? Where people staying at home started buying more. Mm-hmm. Totally. So they're 10 times revenue. Um, you know, when I try to like think about, okay, if you took their entire US dollar market cap, which is 170 billion, and you divided it by 700 million users, active users, how much is that per customer? That works out to be $242 per customer. And, you know, that's kind of roughly what the, a customer's average order value per year would be like today. So you're basically buying it today at a valuation that would represent the kind of like gross market value a single customer on average would order in a year. And I would have to think that number one, the number of customers would go up. Number two, transaction volume would also go up. And number three, monetization on that uh, sea of money uh, will possibly, will, 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 I think, have to go up uh, over time. But right now, they've artificially depressed it because of uh, they're in the middle of this like massive growth hack operation. Growth yeah. And so I'm... I think it's expensive, but it's at a valuation where it looks expensive because they're um, they're uh, deliberately understating through their growth hacking the true money making potential of this company at scale. Does that make sense? Totally. And 
it's hard for me to make predictions in the Chinese market about what their like steady state customer size will be and then what the gross transaction volume will be and where their monetization rate will be in the long run. But I do know that all those three numbers that I quoted will probably will have to be higher than where they are at now, which means that their revenue could like easily forex like today if they just decided, oh, we're just going to pull this lever and this lever. Like, you know what I mean? So if you're thinking about like, oh, I'm paying 10x revenue, like literally in, in a day or so, they could like quadruple the revenue at the same user base. If, and of course, that would have to come at the cost of maybe slowing down their growth rates because they just, you know, stopped the growth hacking and started monetizing. But yeah, they could quadruple the revenues like with with with, with no work. Um, so that 10x sales isn't as pricey from that perspective, knowing that they have that kind of optionality. Um, so. I think in my mind, I think I'm willing to, to, to pay up for this. Like I would buy this company. I'll probably end up buying it tomorrow. Yeah, I'll buy it. <laughs> it's, it's so rare to see you. I, I, love, I love watching you yeah. pay premium. Nothing, nothing makes me more excited than when Gil's willing to pay premium. I, I, I love it so much. That, that means yeah, this I, might, I mean, I might lose money the next day, but like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You, you must, you must absolutely. I do. I really. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about it, and I wish I had seen it earlier because if if you don't want to look at the stop chart because like last year was available at like thirty five dollars yeah. per share, and now we're talking about it at one hundred and thirty five per, per share. But you know, when I think about where it is right now at one hundred thirty five per share, ten x sales, market cap of one hundred seventy billion, it's not that hard for them to go from 170 billion to like 800 billion and a trillion or two trillion. I don't think it's that hard for them. Like they have a lot of challenges, but yeah. if they can really become like uh, like this symbiotic nature um, with the, um, the, the 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 producers in the Chinese economy. And become like the operating system and demand aggregator for those like massive industries and agriculture. Like that is an unassailable defensive position from which they can monetize a huge group of people and make a lot of money. So it's a very attractive company. I really like it. Yeah. yeah. And they've got like these. I like that you like it so much. Got these like demographic tailwinds where like, you know, the Chinese people have been oppressed for so long and they continue to be in, in some ways. So I, I like, I don't want to get into politics too much, but I think they, you know, but, but they have this like tremendous potential and they all are like hungry for a better life. And who isn't hungry for a better life? Americans would totally get that as well. And, um, you know, that like a group of industrious people who are hungry for a better life they're going to end up producing good results for themselves or their society. You have to kind of believe in that, right? And I feel like that the demographic tailwinds are such that um, Pinduoduo can ride on the back of that for a good long while and that they've growth hacked their way into yeah. this really good position. And they were probably one of the most improbable companies I've ever seen. And yet, here we are. Oh, what do you what do you think about this company? Would you end up buying into it at this? It's just it's just so hard. Yeah, I mean it's 
um, it's just really hard to evaluate a company. Again, same same issue I think I ran into with with Palantir is, you know, um, not a lot of track record here. It's hard to evaluate and project forward. This kind of growth is is unprecedented, right? Uh, and you and you have a lot of differences. It's hard for me to understand the Chinese market. And it's hard for me to understand mm-hmm. the American market. And I have to now, you know, go across uh, across the globe and try to figure out what's relevant and and valuable for people there who live in third tier cities in another country. I'm just not familiar. So, and again, I couldn't even really play with the app. I would love to see how they've gamified various elements. It'd be really fun to play around with. And I couldn't even do that. So. Um, I just felt a couple steps removed. Again, my view on this was much more myopic than yours. I was thinking, how, can they keep up this kind mm-hmm. of growth rate? Right? What do they need to do? They have to expand. They'd have to go into new markets. They have to... And if, if, you, if you take that kind of view, I become much more interested in whatever companies, whatever startup in America decides to occupy the social commerce mm-hmm. ecosystem. I think they will be, that's a company I will keep an eye out for and they'll, they'll mm-hmm. have my money. Because, you know, you tell me they're, they're trying to create a social buying network of, along the same lines because there is a gap here. I'm first in line to invest in a company here locally because I think there's a great value proposition despite all the logistics. stuff. Right. And I think it would be hard. You know, you look at like these guys, you know, they, they had an investment. Uh, I think WeChat, Tencent put money in and, and you know, gave them some social sharing jet fuel, right? When you're on one of the top yeah. messenger platforms, I can't didn't even Facebook letting didn't somebody even else that, build a shop. Yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah, I mean, right. But you're getting into something deeper, which is like you have a sense of pride for a Chinese-made, Chinese, you know, leading, leading global company that's serving the Chinese people, right? There is yeah. a pride in that, which I think, you know, American businesses are not generally designed to serve America. They're designed to grow and make money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I don't feel I don't feel a sense of pride in mm-hmm. Amazon that like that's an American business, and I feel like that's a company that's trying to make every yeah, single yeah, yeah, yeah. in the world, right? And that's fine. But like, there's no there's no national no. pride there. And and I, I read an interesting article um, in Wired last week or two weeks ago about the telecom industry globally and how different companies are, you know, trying to patent different kinds of technology. It was about like uh, gap hopping or I forgot the name of the technology or, or spacing. I, I forgot, but basically 5G mm-hmm. infrastructure and how like China wants so badly, it wants to get out of this reputation of copying other businesses and stealing IP and you know, creating copycat companies to, to a company that owns its own IP, that builds its own products, their own mm-hmm. valuable products, uh, and, and can be a world leader. And I think there's pride there. And I think this company embodies a lot of that. Uh, just as like, you know, no, like we don't need the US market to be a, num- a top five yeah. company globally yeah. Yeah. at all, right? Right, like I, I think, you know, Alibaba has a yeah. little bit of that too, right? And I, and I like that play. And you've definitely changed my mind, um, you know, thinking of this as a growth play, which I think anyone who looks at <laughs> a comprehensive five-year chart or five-year, you know, of statements is going to say, okay, the story yeah. here is growth. And you've reoriented me around, you know, building a regional business. It's not, it, it's, it's taking, taking the geography you're in and you've caught lightning in a bottle and you've captured this market share incredibly quickly. There are a lot of ways yeah. to monetize it. And, and the advertising piece, I and mean, we both touched on it. I mean, that is, that's the best. I mean, that's where you want to be. It, it doesn't cost you anything nope. to serve an ad. And again, if the customer wants to be served the ad and is logging in to watch ads yeah. and maybe even incentivized to watch ads, and it doesn't affect their buying yeah. probability, 
you're in you're in a, an unbelievable position. So yeah, to your point, you know the, the 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 forward ratio doesn't scare me away here. It looks overpriced because everything's backwards looking. And how do you evaluate a back? How do you backwards evaluate a company growing at a yeah. clip like this? It's just your your data is instantly yeah. outdated. So like. It looks expensive because the value is you're not capturing the actual current value of the company. That said, you know, to your point, is this is this a you know a five hundred billion dollar company, eight hundred billion, trillion, two trillion? Like, what's what's the what's the end game? The other thing you've definitely opened my eyes to is this this larger data play where you can say to a you know an American company that wants to enter the Chinese market like that data is incredibly yeah. valuable for so yeah. many different reasons and that network of manufacturers is incredibly you know like that that makes them you know the uh, I'm trying to think of a good comp on the tech side but but that that makes them you know I can't imagine a, a company coming to that Chinese market and trying to work with various manufacturers and not leveraging right. the platform and that that puts them in it like you said it's that's a very easy to defend position you're not getting displaced from that. You have the information, you mm -hmm. have the users. So yeah, I, again, I, the price never scared me. It was more, what's the potential here, right? Like, you know, if you're investing with an expectation of, of you know, 3% returns annually, you've been fine, right? But like, it, you have to know what your, what your potential is for growth. And they've grown so fast, so quickly, and they look overpriced. It's easy to be scared off, but I, I think it's, it's a reasonable play. And, and I think, again, you know, you're looking at, you know, these guys could triple within the yeah. next five years. And yeah. I would not be surprised. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I think, I think I'm a buy as well. I'm maybe not as strongly endorsing it as you are, but only because I'm, maybe I need a little more time to wrap my head fully around <laughs> yeah. your perspective yeah. Yeah. on yeah. it. But uh, I definitely see, I definitely see a world where, you know, if things, the chips, the chips fall out right for these guys and they, they don't get, you know, they don't, they don't take advantage of their trusted mm -hmm. position, which is another big thing that I think companies mess up all the time where like, you have something special and yeah. you botch it and you botch it for an extra buck or you botch it for faster growth. And they, they have done an incredible job hacking that growth by not, you know, they haven't lost that trust. They haven't pissed off their manufacturing base. They haven't, you know, alienated their logistics partners or whoever they're working with. So they've, they've treaded mm -hmm. lightly there. I, hopefully they can navigate as they turn those dials without messing things up. Assuming they can. Yeah. I don't see any reason why this isn't a, a, a $2 trillion company. And, and, you know, the biggest, the biggest company in China, there's no yeah. reason, right? Like this, this embodies a lot of the stuff you would want out of an Alibaba or a JD. And instead of three companies owning, you know, 80% of the market, maybe it's two companies that own 80% yeah. of the market, right? Like th there, there's, there's, there's no reason, you know, th this is a very different company. That's the social element. It's not a search bar, find a product, right? This is a very different company. I think I think there's room at the top. Yeah, they can definitely grow. So, yeah, I think I'm a buy. Not not as strong a buy as you, but I'm, I'm also <laughs> okay. a buy. I'll have to, uh, well, have to we've, open up we've convinced tomorrow. each other <laughs> to lose money in this high flying Chinese internet company. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. That we that we've never used on an app we've never used. <laughs> I've never downloaded an app. Yeah, I've only watched it on great. YouTube, but it's good enough to put hearts. Are, are, what are the what are the odds this is this is propaganda? Um, it, it could is be. This, is no, this propaganda like, of some kind? The company doesn't good exist. Propaganda, that's for sure. I mean, if it's propaganda, it's pretty good propaganda. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. I'm buying it. I'm buying it. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> imagine, I just imagine flying over to China, looking at the headquarters, and realizing it's the back of a fruit seller shop, and it's completely fake. And I'm like, oh crap! <laughs> I'm 
I've gotten snookered. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Mistakes were made. made. Yes, yes, yes. But I, I mean, yeah, uh, it is, it is, uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a position on this company. Yeah. Well, if I'm going to get snookered, it's more fun. It's more fun to do with you, Gil. So uh, we'll, we'll be okay, in this great. one together. So um, I think that's pretty much it for today. Yeah. And so I guess uh, I'll catch you later and then yes, sir. Uh, figure out what we want to talk about. Yes, next. sir, my friend. I love these. I love talking yeah, to you. Yeah, good time. You're the best. Yeah, looking at these companies. All right. I'll catch you later. Have a good one.